Hi, this is Daniel Wright, and I'm driving the church van on our newly paved church parking lot at night, and you're watching the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Derman. I'm your moderator. Somehow, they let us keep doing this. Joining me this week is Esposo de la Pastora, Dan Marcello. Saludos. Oh, wow. hey. Yay, Dan. <laughs> Worship director, Scott Reed. Yeah. Yay! For me. <laughs> and Pentecost trivia champion, Bill Calvin. Woo! <laughs> you guys were gone for a week, and I forgot to clap. Dan... <laughs> Will you pray for us? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. Father, we thank you so much for this day. It's beautiful outside. We thank you that we get a chance to be together to discuss things that matter to you, Lord. And we pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us, and Lord, that the, our conversation would be fruitful and our time together as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go for it, Scott. All right. Would you rather leave a slime trail everywhere you walk or continually admit exhaust fumes? And here's the thing about the slime trail that I find so funny is that like a snail leaves a slime trail by like being a snail. So it's just like one thing that just moves along the ground. But we take steps with two feet, Mm -hmm. but it's still a trail. Yeah. So what so, does that mean? So you admit the, you the exhaust fumes wherever you go? So like uh, you're in your house, you're admitting exhaust fumes? It says continually, so yes. Uh, I choose the slime. I don't want to track goo wherever I go. In wait, our wait. house, we try to be clean, and I probably drive my wife nuts. If so was, you choose to not have the slime? Or you choose you exhaust fumes? No, I choose neither. <laughs> I, about, oh my I never gosh. thought about doing that. No, genius. <laughs> We've solved the riddle. No, I, I worked myself into a knot there. I think I would choose to have the gooey feet and not the exhaust fumes because I, I just don't know if I... It's like poisonous stuff making people breathe in. So. Sure. True. I'll take the slime. I'll, I'll just leave slime. <laughs> That's just, I'll just leave slime. <laughs> well, it's, fine. it's, it's because weird. I'm thinking about Hitler had a, an affliction called meteorism. Which meant he just passed gas continuously. Whoa. Yeah. Did he really? So I don't want to be like I, Hitler. That's hysterical. <laughs> Uh, I would also go with slime, I think. Sure. Um, just because I feel like exhaust fumes, if it's like car exhaust fumes, I guess that's we would have to assume that it's car exhaust fumes. Yeah. Like that would just you'd get sick. Like sure. It wouldn't be good for you mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. always be around the exhaust fumes. I mean, if it's like a special human kind of exhaust fume, like Hitler, <laughs> that might be different, but yeah, I go with slime. Yeah, it's everywhere you go continually. Oh, hmm. I would go. I would go slime. I think. Um, I I thought you were gonna say, Bill, like, oh yeah, I just run out in front of everybody in the marathon and just weave back and forth, and they're sliding all over the. <laughs> um, oh, strategy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just think. I think you know, slime. I think is easier to manage. You're not gonna fill up a room with slime. Depends on how much you walk around. You though. might fill up the floor, but you're not gonna fill up all the air. Whereas exhaust is gonna, you know. Uh, gases fill the volume of the container in which they are put. This has been Science with the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. <laughs> Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, and trivia quizzes to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Rebecca did. Rebecca says, would you rather celebrate your birthday for one day every month or one week every year? Mm. One week every year? Yeah. Because that's what we're doing anyway <laughs> in our house. <laughs> really? Sure. Yeah, I would choose a week. That'd be great. I agree. I think if you had one day of the month that was your birthday every month, it would get old. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It you would. Know? But like a week. People would be like, didn't you just celebrate your birthday last month? Come well, on. I hope to all, all the other people, they would think it was normal. Otherwise, um. it just seem really self-centered. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think I'd choose a week. I would definitely go a week. There you go. There you go. Let's get into the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you one more time by Virtual Day Camp. Hooray. It's finally here. You've heard about it for weeks, and you've been asking yourself, how in the world are they going to do day camp over Facebook Live and Zoom? Well, wonder no more. Join us June 22nd through 26th on Facebook Live at 9 a.m. for skits, stories, and songs, as well as 6 p.m. each evening on Zoom for a family discipleship time. It's not too late. Register at bloomingdalechurch.org slash daycamp to get added to the official Facebook group and pick up your craft kits for the week. Virtual day camp, June 22nd through 26th at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live and 6 p.m. on Zoom. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash daycamp to learn more. Uh, it's worth saying, I have no idea when you're listening to this. Uh, it may be too late. And in fact, it probably is. <laughs> um, <laughs> this week, Bloomingdale Church is beginning to meet four services using this combination of drive-in and outdoor church models. Scott and Dan, real quick, can you give us like a brief overview of, of what's happening? Basically, Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 8.30 p.m. and a.m. respectively. Um, weather permitting, we'll be gathering outside. And it, like Max just said, it's a combination of drive-in church and outdoor church. And those might seem like synonymous, but I think the difference is basically that a drive-in church is like a drive-in theater where you drive in and you tune your radio to a certain frequency and then you stay in your car and you listen to it. And an outdoor church is church, but you're outside. Um, so it's more more traditional. And so we're doing a little bit of both. Um, we're leaning more heavily on the outdoor aspect of it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. So the idea is you'll come in, you'll park in certain spots. Um, Dan has put together a, a diagram graphic something yeah <laughs> well we have people that are going to help you to park so you don't have to figure it out yourself mm. yeah and then you'll get out of your car and you'll sit with your family six feet apart from other families or more and then if you're not comfortable with that for whatever reason uh, you can stay in your car and you can tune into the, the frequency and so that will be more of like a the drive-in element mm. and the beauty of it is that you know if you're a person that doesn't feel comfortable coming back to church yet if you have health concerns that you can still watch online Yep. Mm. Scott's still going to be doing worship online. Pastor Dave is going to be recording his sermons, and that goes up at the same time as it has for the last, wow, it's been three months or well, a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we've been doing that for a while, and it's going to continue kind of in tandem with the outdoor service. Mm-hmm. And we moved, I think this last week was the first week, we moved the Facebook premiere from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Okay. So we don't have the 11 a.m. drive-in service. We've got the other normal times at 5.30 and 8.30, but we will be premiering the the service on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Um, so if that's your normal time, um, you can do that. Uh, that was for a couple of reasons. One is to kind of get back another sense of normalcy. And an- another was that um, we've got adult ed is really starting to pick back up. So we wanted to open up that that 10 a.m. time slot for that. Uh, but as Dan said, the, the service will be online before that. It's Saturday at noon-ish at bloomingdalechurch.org slash watch. Um, but if you want to watch it with kind of more of a community It'll be premiering uh, on Facebook. Although I don't, I don't know what that'll look like now with Drive-In Church. Maybe no one will be there anymore. It'll just be you. But, <laughs> but that's okay. So, is there a reason why we're doing this sort of hybrid drive-in outdoor church instead of like just going for outdoor church? Like outdoor church, I I think is the more lax, the more lenient one, right? It's it's mm-hmm. not everybody has to be in their cars with their windows up. Like it's it's just outdoors and. Um, you know, everybody's still social distancing. You know, why go with that blend of the two? 
I think we're trying to be sensitive to people that do have health issues or health concerns or mm-hmm. or maybe just don't have that comfort level yet of mm-hmm. leaving home and just kind of providing that option is kind of a, a way to include them and not feel like, hey, you got to come here or you can't participate. Mm. And I might be mistaken about this, but I believe up until a couple of weeks ago, the plan was that it was going to be just drive-in. Like that was the original plan. Um, and then we started veering away from that for a couple reasons. I don't know exactly what the reasons were. I heard something about like we probably aren't going to be able to successfully keep people in their cars. I heard another thing about, well, we don't want to have 100 cars or whatever running in our parking lot for an hour if we can mm-hmm. avoid it. That pushed us towards outdoor service. But then like Dan was saying, for the people that are still not fully comfortable with that, mm-hmm. they can come and still get that sense of community um, but not be exposed in any way. And David raised a good point, and Pastor David raised a good point in staff meeting today. Um, he was like, has anyone asked you yet? Well, other churches are meeting together inside. Like, why are we still outside? And, you know, we're all navigating this the best that we can. And right now we have the option to do it outside, which is a little bit safer. Mm. Also, it will probably be a little bit more pleasant, uh, assuming it's not like 100 degrees outside, because you won't have to wear your mask if you're social distancing, but if you're inside, I think you have to wear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I don't like wearing masks for more than like <laughs> 20 minutes. And so, you know, why are we not doing it inside yet, even though we legally could? Because we want to keep people safe. And mm-hmm. it's this is all so new. And, you know, we're just trying to navigate it in mm-hmm. the best way that we can. And I actually think the outdoor service would feel more like community than if we could do it inside, because we could only have like 100 people in, inside mm-hmm. at a given moment. And then you have to spread people out to six feet, and then if you're singing, to ten feet apart. Right. Yeah. So it would feel like, hey, way over there. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Hmm. Good to have seen you. I'm leaving now. Good yeah. to have seen your eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned, Scott, of like, you know, other churches handle things the way they want to. Other states are radically different. You know, famously, Wisconsin yeah. opened wide up, and um, Indiana's sort of doing a similar yeah. thing. North Dakota, like, never shut down anything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there aren't enough people. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, like, where does our responsibility as citizens of Illinois end and sort of our responsibility as, like, citizens of the kingdom of God, like, begin? Like, if every other state in the union opened up and Illinois stayed closed, I feel like we would start to run into that friction of, hey, like, we're a church, like, we can't just be closed down. We, we got to start, like, reaching out to people because they're in need. Um, and that's some, that's that's a voice that I've certainly heard, especially when we were first shutting down this idea of like, don't people need the church more now than ever? Where is, you know, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's? Like, what's our relationship with following governmental guidelines about something that, you know, people often disagree or is open to, you know, our own interpretation of what we consider safe or not? I really like Romans 13 talks about submitting to the ruling authorities. You know, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that, except that which God has established and they exist. goes on to say, like, for your good, for your betterment, not to, to harm you, but to help you. Hmm. But I think, I think as Christians, we have to take that real seriously. And, and I think back to these people who it was written to and like, well, it was really easy. Well, actually, it was really tough for them, too, because they were dealing with governing authorities that were pagan, you know, didn't respect their faith at all. I think where you kind of draw the line is, is the, are the governing authorities telling you to sin? They're telling mm-hmm. you to do something that the Bible is telling you is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, like, are they have to, like, if all the other states open up and Illinois didn't have to, like, what is their reasoning behind it? Is, is it? is it really based on public health or is it is there something else behind it? But I always try to lean toward 
what the Bible says here of going with the, what the authorities are telling us to do, of being respectful, rendering them honor and respect because mm. they're over me. Whether I voted for them or not doesn't matter. Sure. Or whether I agree with everything they do. But it just reminded me of the old Roman times. I mean, they, yeah. I'm sure the Christians didn't agree with half the stuff sure. they were doing. They had to respect them. But at the same time, when it came to issues of like, hey, you got to believe in this God or we're going to kill you, they were like, we're not going to believe in some, we're going to believe in Jesus and we're not, we're not turning back. Sure. Something to keep in mind is that a lot of the time we as citizens have the luxury of a small picture perspective. Uh, I know that I do. Like I, throughout most of this pandemic season, not as much at the very beginning, but probably for the last two months or so, it's really just been like, oh yeah, you know, just going about my life, just got to wear this mask when I go to the store, don't work in the office, whatever, do most of my work online. That's fine. Um, but there are people, people in our church who I've talked to, and I'm sure you guys have talked to too, who are being very careful mm-hmm. um, because if they catch it, they'll probably die. And mm-hmm. as the overseers of the entire population of Illinois and the country, you know, the people in positions of power, they have to consider everybody. Uh, we only have to consider how it affects us, which is why, you know, there's, I know that there are some people in our church and I love this spirit in them who are like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to touch people. That's okay if you and they are both comfortable with that and you and they are both healthy, but the government can't, they can't allow for that kind of person to, or, or a group of that kind of people to just run amok throughout the state because mm. then everyone will get it and a lot of people will die. Sure. Um, and so it, it is, it's, it's complicated but they, they are forced into having the bigger picture perspective. And as much as we might not like it, as much as it might seem unnecessary or, or gratuitous, we don't have to deal with the fact that if you know thousands or millions of people died in Illinois, uh, it might be our fault. Hmm. Um, and they do. Sure. I think we fall into this trap of talking about this in a very humanistic way often, um, just because it's delivered to us from a very secular source. And so we are going to, you know, talk about health and talk about safety in as clinical of a way that as we can. And we like to believe that the church, big C and, and little C, uh, will be on the same page about these kinds of things. Um, but we aren't all the time. Again, different churches handling it differently. How do we have a conversation that has God at the center of it when it comes to different perspectives, different fears about health and safety. I think having God at the center of it makes it really easy. Because if I'm having a conversation with Dan, I know where Dan's priorities are. I know that Dan's priorities are God and people. Um, And I think that Dan knows that about me too. And so even if we had different perspectives on what might be safe or wise, I think because we have that common Mm -hmm. ground and and that trust in each other and our motives, we can navigate those conversations. Even if Dan's like, I think it's super important that we get back together as soon as possible because we're the church. We got to be together. That's like what we got to do. And I'm like, I think it's super important that we hold off as long as we can until we're absolutely sure that it's safe because we got to protect our people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are probably the two kind of polar yeah. opposite perspectives, yeah, sure. I, I think. And they're both, they both have a, a good heart to them. And I think when you take God out of the equation, uh, it, the conversations just get so much more difficult because mm-hmm. now there's, I mean, there's so many other factors that could be could be at the heart of it. Um, so I think just walking in love. I mean, love covers a multitude of sins. Pastor David says that all the time. 
and uh, you know whether or not we agree, as long as we know that we're doing it for the good of the church, then whatever the outcome actually is, whether it's Dan's or mine or a, some kind of compromise, then we can continue forward with the mission. Sure. Amen to that. I think now more than ever, it's important to have grace, and kindness, forgiveness with each other, like Scott's saying, because there are a wide range of opinions of, I'm sure if we polled our church right now, we had the ability <laughs> to do that. And what would you like to do? There'd be a, a wide range of, of thoughts on this, but just being being okay with that and not coming from a place of, like we can make a personal judgment about what's good for us, but not not sit, sitting in judgment on someone else's mm-hmm. view too, because they might have, like like Scott says, very well of like with the government like they have a whole different like set of people to look out for like people around us have maybe they have loved ones that are at risk and they need to be extra careful or we might not know all the details of what goes into how they're feeling and what their perspective is mm. so being being mindful and open-minded is sure. important what's the answer to the question what does god want our church to do love each other be the church and i think We've been able to do that over the last three months, even though the building itself has been closed. Like Scott says very well, a lot of the nights that you do music of we the the building is closed, but we the church are not closed. We are mm-hmm. very much op- like active in in our communities, in our homes, mm-hmm. with our families, with our loved ones, sharing Christ. Yeah, and I guess there's a little bit of interpretation to that of how mm-hmm. to go about it. Um, yeah, and what is the most you know, what is the most loving way to interact with each other mm-hmm. and differences of opinion of, of what that looks like, for sure. Um, and I agree with you, Scott, that I say, you know, you got to have, if you don't have God at the middle of it, then yeah. you're going to have people say, well, your way is mm-hmm. reckless, or it's going to say the way you're trying to, you know, love people is cold, and it's not taking care of people who are in need, who are frustrated, who are, who are scared. Um, I think it's important to recognize, too, we've all been cooped up in our homes for mm-hmm. three months. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for the passions and the emotions to really flare, but sure, really asking God to help us take the emotion out of it yeah, and to be able to see people and love them even if they have a different perspective than ours. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of if somebody who wasn't in quarantine, right? If somebody, I don't know, someone who lived on the moon was making the decisions for our state, was making the decisions <laughs> for our church, like... What would they decide? Um, like, what would they, from their perspective, say is like, okay, like, I know this hurts, but like, this is what needs to happen. Um, because they're not in the same emotional place that we are. They're not as tired and annoyed and, and, and sick of being locked in our houses as we are. And so there isn't that, that effect. And hopefully it's someone who can take into account how the people feel. Um, and like, God is not removed from us, but like, when he makes decisions, he, you know, can relate to how we're feeling, but he can also see like, yeah, I know this, this sucks, but, but this is how I will be glorified. Like, yeah, I know this is difficult, but this is, you know, how I'm calling you through this. And it makes me happy that God isn't as, (laughs) as affected by emotions as we are when it comes to decision-making and when it comes to planning, um, and that we struggle to understand his will and to hear what he's telling us to do. But like the pursuit of that is is definitely the the best thing that we can do. Mm. Um, Being slow to speak, quick to listen, mm. slow to get angry for sure is going to be important. Mm. I have a second topic of the week. Um, it's something I, I've wanted to kind of pick your brains about for a while um, because it's something that I struggle to understand uh, and and struggle to to believe. 
It's a little odd, so go with me on it. <laughs> um, so we know that God speaks to us through all kinds of mediums. Um, Except for through mediums. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, as a blanket statement, does God, does God punish the arrogant? And what I mean by that is specifically believers... You know, Paul talks about the difference between people who know God and then still choose to sin and people who don't know him. People who, who are believers, who have the Holy Spirit, who, who have accepted Jesus into their life and still go about in this arrogant way, and like, like it's described in, in James 4, and I'll read that in a minute, who are arrogant in their thinking. Does God, mm. does God react to that? And let me give you a little bit of context of what I'm talking about. So I really struggle with this idea of, of sort of putting God in this box of like karma. And this particularly comes from, from Luke 20 and then and James 4 uh, as well. So James 4.13 is, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And then Luke uh, is the parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I'll have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and, and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Dr eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Um, and in reading these right now, I can kind of see where your answer might go. But this is sort of where my thinking starts to become heretical. And, and this is where something that, that I really struggle with in my personal life is if I make plans, um, I mentioned it last week, you know, this idea of applying to grad school. Like if I make plans and envision them coming true and I think about them coming true and I think about how, you know, excited I would be if I got accepted to grad school and how excited I would be to tell all my loved ones, right? And I think about going to grad school and think about, you know, not just planning my life in a clinical sense, but really emotionally engaging with this idea of where things could go. Am I going to enact change in God? Do I, in this like hubris of imagining the way things can go and like planning behind it, am I inviting like punishment? That is something that I have struggled with my whole life and especially throughout college and, and since graduating. Um, just this constant state of assuming the worst about anything so as not to make God feel like I'm too proud and need to be brought down a peg. I know this has to be wrong. I want to know what your gut reaction is to this mindset that for whatever reason, like I struggle to rip out of myself. I fall back into this over and over and over again. Looking at the two passages that you read, there's two things that cause the person to be in error. The first, you know, he says, uh, rather say, if the Lord wills it, we will go, we will live and do such and such. So you can see in that sentence that there's, it's, it's okay to say like, this is my plan. Mm -hmm. But the important qualifier is to remember that our plans are not God's plans and that God's plans will out. And in the other one, 
you know, the guy abused his wealth and his preparation to take life easy. And he thought that because he had all this food stored up, like, that he was all set, you know, and and he didn't need to work anymore. He didn't need to commune with God as to what to do with his excess. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just like, all right, I got this. I'm good to go. Um, so in, in my opinion, neither of those two passages indicate that it is wrong to plan uh, for the future. And in fact, you know, this idea of like hoping for something good might bring about God's wrath made me think of... Um, this little passage in First Chronicles 4.10, um, the prayer of Jabez. Uh, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Um, he asked for just unsolicited or like unwarranted good things like without qualification. Just like, just bless me and enlarge my territory. Um, and so I don't think it's wrong to hope for good things either. I think it's just all about, it's all about what you said at the, at the get-go, arrogance. Mm-hmm. Planning and hoping are not arrogance, um, but they can get tangled up with arrogance. Um, and when they do, that's, I think, when the problems come. Yeah, those passages really serve as a warning not to be arrogant, for sure, and what can happen if if you are. You know, I think what you said, Max, about maybe your, about with your struggles, and I think a lot of us have had those same thoughts before, I don't think you're alone in that of, well, I think we, sometimes we can easily view God as somewhat miserly, of like, mm. well, if I ask for this, well, what if he doesn't give it to me? And sometimes we can have this inaccurate view of God that he's kind of up there, like really pinching the pennies or he doesn't really want to bless me, like the prayer of Jabez. And I love this passage from James chapter 1 that's really been speaking to me lately, uh, probably in the last couple of weeks. We read it in one of the morning live streams, and it just really stuck with me. It's, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And so it just really speaks to God's nature and character that he's not like a Scrooge-type character that's like, well, looking down, like, should I bless them? Should I give them wisdom? I don't know. Like, he, he delights it. It's his character. He gives generously to all without finding fault of saying, oh, you, and you did that, and you're horrible. Or He's, he's a God of generosity. But we do need to, later on it goes on to saying, James, we need to come before that throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, ready to ask. Later he says, if, if, you, don't, <laughs> if you don't have it, it's probably because you haven't asked of God. Continued pressing in and asking. Yeah, that, um, the way you phrased that, Dan, about viewing God as miserly made me think of, uh, I think it was in the Gospel of Healing, which was uh, by A.B. Simpson, one of the books that I've been reading or I read a couple weeks ago for my ordination process. And he phrase it really well in this one, like, just simple analogy. You know, I think most Christians believe that God can heal, that he has the power to heal. But there seems to be an unwillingness to believe that God wants to, right? If God can, but he doesn't, Mm -hmm. then maybe he just doesn't want to, right? Uh, or that that can be like our approach. Like I haven't seen God heal me in all these times or heal these people that I love or whatever. Sure. So like I believe that he can, but maybe he doesn't want to. And what A.B. Simpson said, he was like, imagine, you know, I would much rather a friend came to me and said, I know you would help me if you could, than to come to me and say, I believe that you can help me, but I don't think you're going to. Hmm. And it's like, that is really true. And like, 
I'm sure that's probably how God feels too. You know, he doesn't want us to say like, I know you can do this, God, but you're probably not going to because you're kind of a jerk, <laughs> you know, subtext. Um, so yeah, it's exactly like what Dan was just saying. God is generous and he wants to He wants to bless us. And the great thing about praying for wisdom or praying for God's blessings is that God wants us to have those things. Yeah, it's his will for us. Yeah. And it really ties in well, what you said, Scott, after this, what I just read, it says, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because, you know, a person who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think they'll receive anything from the Lord. <laughs> it's like, if you think of, you're not going to, don't be doubting, like believe in full faith. Yeah. Mm. You doing okay, Bill? I am having a real hard time staying awake. I'm sorry. It's not because of this. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a combination of stuff. I'm fasting today. And oh, wow. Mm. I'm just... I think I'm just getting really tired from workouts and. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm not much help today. No, you're fine. Oh, no, you're fine. I think my my concern, or again, it's not an academic. It's not a mindset. It's like a gut thing. It's like a uh, it's a belief that I wish I didn't have. Um, you saw you talked about like the miserliness mm-hmm. of God, and I think of it uh, more as like a he's like a thought police kind of guy. Where it's like, hey, if you're if you're if you don't have the exact right attitude you need to have about this thing happening, I'm not going to do it because you can't control me. That I think is is sort of the attitude that I put on God. Only sometimes, like only when it comes to, only when it comes to hope for the future. Only when it comes to, uh, to to hope for things that I that I that I want to have happen. Things that I I hope for, uh, as I kind of put this face on God of. Like, oh, you like assume that because I'm your father, I'm going to give this to you. Mm. What's the biggest difference between God and karma? Karma in the vernacular, meaning you do a good thing, good thing happens to you. You do a bad thing, bad things happen to you. You control karma with Mm. your actions. Yeah, it depends on you fully. I love the way C.S. Lewis put talking about Aslan, who is a mm-hmm. kind of a, an archetype of Christ, a figure of Christ. He's not a tame lion. Mm. Who knows why he does what he does? We don't know. We've talked about that in past podcasts of who can figure out why. Mm. And sometimes people who are evil and wicked and sinful prosper, mm. and we don't understand why. And sometimes people who are doing everything God's way and really trying, it just doesn't work out for them, or they, they struggle. Or you look at someone like Job, who Bill was talking about a little while ago. Job was a righteous man, but lost everything. Mm. Karma just would it doesn't make sense talking about God because it's it's two completely separate things that it, it's like a cause and effect. If I do this, something right. But with the Lord, I mean, people who do bad things could be blessed, for lack of a better word, or could have things go well for them. Mm-hmm. Even people who are Christians trying to live for the Lord could get cancer and have struggles and trials. Like we don't we don't really want karma. What do you think about? It? I mean. There, there's obviously worldviews that, that invented karma. But think about, you know, the idea of karma is really like, I can do enough good to outweigh my bad. Mm-hmm. But um, think about a, a criminal, you know, a criminal who went out, murdered six people. But he's also like, he volunteers at a soup kitchen. And he, you know, he's really nice to his mom. <laughs> he's a good dad. Well, I guess we'll let him off this time. Like, no, like there's no amount of good that we, like, deep down, right. that we believe actually offsets bad. Like, bad still needs to be punished. And when we think of it in those terms, 
karmically speaking, we should all, karma and reincarnation are very closely connected. Um, we should all just like be just dropping, hmm. right? Because our good doesn't outweigh the bad, and we know that inherently. Hmm. But when we look at God, um, that's not what happens. God still loves us. God chooses to give us good things. Uh, he chooses to bless us. Um, that's not karma at all, because our good does not weigh the bad. Mm-hmm. If God were karma, we'd all be toast. We would be, because we're so incredibly sinful. Yeah. But he lavishes on us so many things we don't deserve. Forgiveness, eternal life, hope in this life. Mm-hmm. If I, as a Christian, as a brother in Christ, as somebody who especially these last three years have like really tried to throw myself into my faith and, and really seen amazing, just amazing growth in my relationship with God. If I, as that person in weakness, in stress, in fear, say to you, don't tempt fate. Don't talk like good things are going to happen because God might just make it not happen to show you that you're not in charge. What is the Christian response to that statement? I would bring up the passage in James that I read, not to beat a dead horse or a, a live horse, because it's the God's word and it's alive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm saying, let's look at the nature and character of God, that that's not in line with, with who he is. Of, mm. He's not a Scrooge, a miser of just introducing the truth of who God is, his nature, his character, his love, that it might not always work out the way we're hoping true. Like Jeremiah 29, 11, he has, hope, he has plans to give us hope in a future. Who knows what that future might look like? It might mm. not look in the way that we plan. Sure. But he's still got our best in mind. Yeah. I think, um, why do you think God does anything? The question is that you're asking is it's really all about God's motives. Mm. Um, why does God do anything? Why does he allow good things to happen? Why does he allow bad things to happen? Um, and if we believe that God is just waiting for opportunities to like stuff us back down and be like, Nope, Remember who you're dealing with, kid. Hmm. That's not who God is. God does humble us. But if we're really believers and God humbles us, it's not fun, but it's good because mm-hmm. we need to be humbled. If if God is humbling us, it's because we need to be humbled. It's not because we're like going along, doing everything right, and then God decides to be a jerk. I mean, even with the story of Job, like Job was quote unquote blameless in that story, but we still see at the end that he had mm-hmm. some some issues to to be worked out, mm-hmm. and God came down and He humbled him. And I'm sure that wasn't really fun, but it was good. Um, mm-hmm. And so whatever happens, it might not always be fun. It might not always but we be what we want. But it's always going to be good. And if you believe that, then you don't need to worry about, you know, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't hope for this thing because God might just take it away. Mm. Well, if God takes it away, it probably wasn't going to be very good for you to have that thing. Uh, and that might not be fun. But think, you know, God's our Father, and we're His children. When you're a father, sometimes you take things away from your child <laughs> that they really want. You don't let them have chocolate cake every meal, even because though they it's really good like for it. them. <laughs> um, and like. So it, it's, you know, when we believe that God's motives are for our good and his glory, we, like Dan was saying, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future's going to hold. We might not always get the thing that we're hoping for, but he's not going to take it away just to be vindictive. Mm-hmm. No. Um, That's not in line with who he is. No. And he might take it away, but on the other side of it, you'll mm-hmm. you'll be closer to him because of it. And as we're talking about the, this idea of God being that one that takes things away or don't tempt fate or things like that, makes me think like that's really probably how Satan is. <laughs> mm-hmm. If he had the power that God has, that's probably how he would act mm-hmm. of, oh, you, I'm going to 
give you something good, but I'm going to take it right away mm. or not, not give you what you're, you're hoping for or, or really the, the desires of your heart. But that it's almost like sometimes Satan is really trying to convince us that God is more like Satan and less like God, mm. yeah. which isn't true. And Jesus says, you know, who, when your child asks you for yes. bread, will give him a stone. Right. Or when he asks for fish, will give him a snake. Mm. Like if you can give good gifts, like how much more yeah. will your father in heaven give you good gifts? Yes, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. again, not just, not even just like lessons or even strictly speaking, I mean, everything glorifies God, but like even strictly speaking, things that are like, well, this isn't any fun, but it's glorifying God. Like he's giving you good gifts, mm. which in turn brings him glory. Yeah. So... True. That's who he is. Thank you for bringing that up. I always forget that passage when it's so good. I think the superstition makes it, instead of of that, it makes it like you ask God for bread and he's like holding the bread and he's like, all right, I'm going to give it to you when I'm ready to give it to you. And you're like, okay. And you kind of stare at him for a while and then you like are like, "Mm, I can't wait to have that bread. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're assuming I'm going to actually give it to you? I think that is when we start to make God this vindictive or or like haughty. And he's not going to change his mind and all of a sudden get vindictive. I and mean, Jesus mm-hmm. lived here for 30 some odd years, mm-hmm. knows what we're like. Well, he knew before mm-hmm. he created us, but knows what it's like to walk a day in our shoes. Sure. Sees all the mistakes. And if he wanted to be vindictive, he could have been like, I'm tired of these people. Like I, I lived among them. They're unfaithful. They forget all about me. They're double-minded. Mm-hmm. They're confused. Like just forget about them, mm-hmm. but didn't. Mm-hmm. and offered his life for us. Yeah, I think God takes pleasure in the fact that we want him to guide our lives. Mm-hmm. We want a map so that we can figure it out ourselves and go. And God, instead of saying, there is no map, I'm your guide. Mm-hmm. We'll mm-hmm. go through this together. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of even being disappointed I read a quote yesterday, our disappointments are God's appointments. (laughs) And the disappointment causes us to go back to God and say, okay, I'm off track a little bit here at the very least. What now? And and that's really the Christian life. What Mm. now? The Christian life isn't everything goes perfectly. Any decision you make is just perfect perfect. There's nobody that can point to that. And even Jesus Christ himself, who lived the perfect life, you look at that life and you think, boy, it's a lot of disappointments along the way. Disappointments with the 12 that he chose. Oh, yeah. Disappointments with the Pharisees who supposedly knew the scriptures, the scribes who definitely knew the scriptures. A lot of disappointments. It's no wonder that he went off to pray by himself so often. Yes. (laughs) Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, uh, you can send questions, would you rathers, trivia quizzes, or scorpions uh, to podcast at (laughs) bloomingdellechurch.org. Or fish. We will fry up a nice fish on the podcast. Eat it live. (laughs) Uh, If you send us an egg, we will fry it. Um, For our closing segment this week, uh, Bill, do you watch movies? Sure. If I am at home... I've just gotten back from an incredible drive-in Bloomingdale Church service, which means it's like, what, 6, 6.30 or 7.30? 6.30. I just got home. I pop a hot pocket in the microwave. Me and my family are looking to watch a good movie. What do you recommend? Trumbo. 
Mm, what is that? Trumbo. <clears throat> Trumbo is a story of his first name starts with a D. I just can't think of it. But Trumbo was blacklisted in the 1950s because he was a communist sympathizer and he mm. registered with the Communist Party and there was a witch hunt going on. Right. And so they really went after liberals and particularly the ones that had some kind of communist association, which makes perfect sense. We just got out of World War II and Soviet Union was now really looming large. But Trumbo was this phenomenal writer, a screenwriter, and uh, suddenly he was out of work. So he goes from being an Oscar-level writer to broke overnight. And what he did was hilarious to me. He, he's supposed to be a communist, and what he does is he began to go around and get the other blacklisted writers, and they formed a stable of writers. They used him as the point person with the studios, and so he took on an enormous number of writing projects. No one person could ever write all this. And so he had all these other writers working for him, and he's taking a cut, and I'm thinking, he's built a capitalistic empire because he's a communist. <laughs> That's what forced him to become a capitalist. <laughs> so I, I just love this movie. I mm. just thought it was really well done. There's, there's no sex, violence. There's, for some reason, they just love the F word. That's the only <laughs> drawback to this movie. <laughs> but it was a terrific movie. Diane Lane was the star female. And who, Brian Cranston is Brian the... Brian Cranston is the star of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a movie I really got a kick out of. Well, that's all the time that we have this week. Um, thank you, Bill. Thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for falling asleep in the chair. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank, thank you, you, Max. Bill. Thank you, Max. Take us home, Bill. <laughs> You have been listening to the Bloomingdale podcast from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the center of the nation. <laughs> what? <laughs> New twist on an old classic. Because I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs>
This is so <laughs> stupid. I love it. Are we saying, we're all saying hello, everyone. And then I say, and welcome to the yes, yes. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, not the whole it, It'll yeah, sound like seems... a bad congregational reading if we go beyond two words. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Um, all right, let's, let's do it.